everyone, you're listening to The Arts Views Presents The Short Views. I'm your host, Deanna Costa, here to bring you into the world of our online arts criticism magazine. Today's episode will feature an interview that I recently did with a fellow Fuse contributor named Marilee V. Guerra, who has been working on a really interesting uh, dance historical performance project as part of her master's thesis. So we had a really fun chat learning all about a very specific and interesting history. And she also gave us a little bit of insight uh, to her great career with the Luminarium Dance Company, which is now in its 10th anniversary season. So I included in the show notes a link to their website you can check out if you're a dance kind of person. We also have, in the middle of this episode, our regular musical spotlight, this time featuring Clifton Hicks and his set from The Fusical. If you haven't seen The Fusical yet, I definitely recommend you go to our YouTube and check it out, but there will be a link in the show notes to that as well. The show was basically a benefit concert for our winter appeal, so if you find it in your hearts to donate a little bit to us, That would also be greatly appreciated. But with all of that out of the way, let's get on to the interview with Marilee. Luminarium Dance Company uh, is based in Boston, Massachusetts um, for the last 10 years, and I co-directed it with Kim Holman, but I relocated to uh, the Princeton, New Jersey area as well, and I've been working across both Boston and Princeton um, for the last three years while I'm getting uh, my MFA at Rutgers University. Wow. and actually with all of this in COVID, it was pretty entertaining to me initially just because all of these dance companies were suddenly shifting to online rehearsals. And when right. I first moved down here, we tried that once and everyone was like, no, that did not work. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a precursor for years to come. But oh, that's um, almost spooky. <laughs> yeah. But basically, um, the project that I'm doing down here is with our satellite company. Three years ago, when I came down, I immediately launched into finding dancers in this area as well, so that I could both work with the company back home and um, have local dancers down here for other additional festivals and opportunities. And so the satellite company um, has a bunch of really talented dancers from uh, across New Jersey and also a couple from uh, Pennsylvania area as well. And the project that we're embarking on right now is our annual cultural community outreach project. So that's a project that I started back in 2012. It's again through Luminarium Dance Company and basically every single season we locate some kind of organization or landmark Um, with either historical or cultural ties to a community. And we explore it and revitalize it through dance. Wow. And yeah, and so we create a public event that is always free and it's um, an opportunity for people to basically reinvestigate this site or this organization. So 
Um, some past examples include uh, the Fuller Craft Museum. We did a week-long residency there. We were dancing as part of these installations we had built. Um, we did Night at the Tower in Arlington at the Water Tower back in 2014, which was a huge, huge project. Um, I can we basically imagine. projected. Oh my gosh, it was <laughs> that that was an undertaking. <laughs> um, but we projected things 60 feet tall on this water tower. And so we basically wow. we try to do things that are very outside the box and bring dance to a space that hasn't experienced dance before. Right. Um, so this year, <laughs> this year we are undertaking a project that is probably one of the largest that we've done to date, or at least the most extensive that we've done to date. I have a background in screen dance or dance on camera films. And I recently had the idea of expanding that, that work into what's considered, so XR, I'm not sure if you've heard of XR. It's a fairly new umbrella term. I don't um, think so, no. Yeah, it's, it's very new. I think it came out about sometime in 2019, but it stands for extended reality, or sometimes people use it as cross reality. And it encompasses, oh, okay. yeah, it encompasses virtual reality, augmented reality. We're actually doing this project in a way that people will be able to access all of the works through either an augmented reality or virtual reality experience on site. That's crazy. I feel like yeah. I can, <laughs> you know, like there are moments in life where you feel your age so deeply. And I, I feel like what we're talking about now is like totally blowing my mind, but I'm sure there, <laughs> there will be like a very, very uh, near future day where that's like totally commonplace and someone right. listening to this in a couple years right. is going to be like, why are you so shocked by this? But that's no, amazing. I've never heard anything exactly. like that. Thank you. It's, you know, and it's something that people are experimenting with this. I'm by no means the first one, right. but I will say I'm new to it. And the way that I'm going about it, I haven't come across personally in, in my own work where I've been trying to um, uh, do these projects over the years. Oh, that's great. So this particular project, there is a beautiful, very seemingly randomly placed colonnade. Um, it's a set of four large Grecian ionic columns mm. that are just seemingly randomly abandoned in the middle of a giant field just outside of Princeton University, downtown Princeton, oh, wow. New Jersey. And when my, when my husband first moved down here, he saw it and he immediately, he called me, this was years ago, four years ago when he first came down and he said, you're going to do something with this someday. This is just, this is your type of site. You love old historical ruins, you oh, know, that's this, you're going to do something. Yeah. And so for years, I, I agreed with him. It's a beautiful site. And it turns out that it's actually um, a really beautiful uh, part of the Princeton Battlefield State Park. But I never knew that much about it. And I knew if I was going to do something with it, it would be a really huge undertaking and so <laughs> I and right now you know I'm getting my my MFA in dance through Rutgers and my thesis project was already diving into concepts of identity and um, what I've come to term as 
the palimpsest of self. Mm. And palimpsest is a term that I only recently came across, but it's basically, um, it stems from the practice of writing on paper and then erasing that writing and writing over it again, but you can still see traces of the original text. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've seen so people do that for art, but I had no idea there yes. was an actual word for that. <laughs> that I <makes> didn't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either, but I have a incredibly phenomenal advisor, um, Professor Jeffrey Friedman, and oh, he is just the type of person where you could say, I'm going to do a piece about a certain type of salmon in the month of <laughs> June. And he'd be like, I know just the person. So he's just that, that person. And so he immediately said, oh, you're describing the act of a palimpsest. And I've said, yeah, that's, that's now that I've researched it, that's exactly it. Because for me, identity, whether it's ourselves, our own physical bodies, or an architectural space, I feel that entity is a layering of different identities over time. Like for instance, if I look at my body, which you know I, I'm looking at my arm right now, and there's a specific fading scar that I can see on my arm that reminds me of a past experience. Right. Um, and in that way, it's kind of like a palimpsest. Like it's not fresh and it's not easily seen, but there's a trace of it still there. Absolutely. And so that's, yeah. And so that's what I'm looking to reveal in this site of who, who are you? <laughs> you beautiful <laughs> columns. Where did you come from? what are your past identities? And then I'm taking those past experiences because it turns out it has a really interesting past and I'm breaking down the layers and creating these 360 degree film choreographies that become immersive XR experiences for the viewers that they can view on site. Wow, that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> when I like... say that out loud, I'm like, ah, can I pull it off? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it sounds like such a fantastic idea, though. And it's, it's so interesting, because I feel like all of my, um, I've, I've been doing a lot of interviews recently, like I mentioned, mm. for the views. And it seems like no matter what um, medium is being worked with, there's been this thread recently of everyone mm. trying to kind of like piece together the history of whatever their art is and also how it relates to kind of like the the history that we all experience as Americans and I think it's really yes. so amazing that this is like another interview where that's kind of like coming <laughs> to light and it's it's really incredible because I, I again I just mentioned in the last interview um, with Steve Provisor that I studied mm. American history in my undergrad years, so oh, no way. I, yeah, I, I definitely am the kind of person that looks at some of the seemingly random architecture choices yes. around, <laughs> around American cities, and you kind of think twice about it because there are so many different eras of our history, and I can't remember who said this Absolutely. to me, but someone pointed out that we we have a tendency in America to just kind of um, erase and build a new and erase and build a new yeah. and maybe a few things mm -hmm. get left in the wake but we 
we don't really like think too much about it we just kind of like leave them as emblems of the past and and walk by yes so it's amazing that you you looked at this space and you were like I'm gonna try to bring this into the future in a sense add this whole (laughs) new layer to it it's so cool it's just amazing but I I really would love to see how it ends up turning out (laughs) it's like I'm trying to visualize it myself and I feel like my little like 90s formed brain just like can't can't put together what it will look like (laughs) well gosh you first of all you and me both but second I (laughs) what you just said is is so fascinating to me when you brought it back to American history as well because Next tonight, we have Clifton Hicks, a musician and music teacher who specializes in banjo instrumentals. He learned most of his skills from two older banjoists, Ernie Williams of Sand Mountain, Alabama, and George Gibson of Knott County, Kentucky. Hicks released his first album in 2005 while serving in the U.S. Army in Germany. Just three years later, in 2008, he was recorded by Mike Seeger for the Smithsonian Folkways Records. Apart from his work in music, Hicks is also a field archaeologist for the University of North Carolina. Hello, everybody. I'm going to try to give you three songs. I think that'll fill up most of my time. And I'm going to go chronologically. So this first one I'll give you be the oldest song that I'm going to give you this evening. And I learned this from a gentleman up in Knott County, Kentucky. His name is George Gibson. And It's a really important song. It's called East Virginia, by the way. To me, it's very important because it traces a a mass migration, something that actually happened to thousands, millions of people, I don't know, black and white people. And in the song, you'll hear the words they speak about um, the protagonist travels from eastern Virginia down into North Carolina and then up the mountains into southeastern Kentucky. East Virginia. Sun don't ever shine 
and to see you with some other and to know that you'd never be mine but i must leave old north carolina i must leave you all alone i'm gonna cross that blue ridge mountain east kentucky will be my Sleep and I dream about her. When I'm awake, I see no rest. Every moment seems like an hour. Many a tear for her I've shared. to my heart but this ring that you gave me darling from my hand shall never part East Virginia is definitely easily one of the oldest songs that I know. Um, most of that migration occurred in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. So I do believe that song dates to at least 1830. Excuse me. At least 1830, I would guess even earlier. when I tell you where they ended up. They actually were built in 1835 for a mansion in Philadelphia, and they were oh, built wow. by the same architect who went on to do uh, things as famous as the U.S. Capitol Dome that's still oh, there wow. today. I mean, really, really beautiful. And then at a certain point, um, it changed hands and it became St. George's Hall. And then at the end of that period, at the turn of the... Uh, century as we were heading into like 1901, 1903. At that point, that building was demolished and they decided to put these uh, columns onto canal boats 
and send it up the DNR canal to Princeton, New Jersey and put it on a new mansion there. That's so yeah, so they made this very interesting journey. And then in the 1950s, that residence, unfortunately, um, which wasn't a residence, I believe, at that period of time. It had been purchased by um, an institution at that point, but it did uh, collapse during a fire or it had significant damage. Mm -hmm. And so they demolished that building and donated the columns to the battlefield across the street because the battlefield is actually the site of a very important uh, battle during the Revolutionary War. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, and and this is all information that I've been learning and gleaning over the past year as I've been diving into this. But basically, unbeknownst to many locals who I've chatted with about this, because I'm I'm not I can I'm a local now, but you know I haven't been here forever. And I've said to people, I said, yeah, you know, and then the columns were moved to be essentially a monument or an entryway to the 36 unnamed buried soldiers. And they all look at me and they're like, what buried soldiers? And I'm like, you know, at the battlefield. (laughs) And it turns out a lot of locals don't realize (laughs) that there's actually a burial there. Yeah. So one of the pieces that um, I've created so far is a duet that brings into play that Revolutionary War battle because that's built into the site, that's built into the grounds. And now that's the purpose of this beautiful colonnade is to act as an entryway for people whose names we didn't even know at the point that we buried them during the war. So it's it's been a really, (laughs) a really multifaceted process. And like you, I love history. I, you know, I, I love it. I love it. I was, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Little Women and Louise May Alcott's yes, Orchard yes, House. definitely. I was a tour guide there for a decade. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so, wow. So you must have yeah. all of that, um, that whole like time period down pat. I, I'm really good at chasing kids in hoop skirts, thanks to many events. <laughs> and, and the Paul Revere House, I actually worked at for a period of time as well. So it's... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you, I just, I get excited by opportunities to allow the arts to bring, bring people's awareness back to these sites. Oh, that sounds like such a perfect project for so many of your interests. That's really (laughs) incredible. And it's, it's (laughs) so cool too, because I feel like it obviously relates to the, the cultural conversation that's been going on recently about, um, you know, statues and, how we remember history and and how we honor the past. So it's it's right. funny that there's also that component, like you were saying, that the local people had like no clue. There's a revolutionary <laughs> burial ground like right below their feet, and it's also right. really right. that's like a funny little um, I guess coincidence. But my husband and I are from upstate New York, and I was like a oh. really tiny town near Albany, and. I was just saying to him today that there's probably a very large chance that our town was built on like an Indian burial ground or something like that. Oh, and we, wow. we yeah, had no idea. Exactly. You know, things like that. So it's funny that yeah. that came up for them just but with the soldiers. That's, I feel right. like there's right. a whole um, hidden uh, history just walking around us. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Of it. Yeah. Even, you know, even in Boston, I think it was Absolutely, Boston yeah. too. There's so many things underground yeah. that have been like old. Um, I was looking at Atlas Obscura recently and they mm. had some really interesting ones on there in the greater Boston area of like old tunnels that you can still kind of get into, but they're not used anymore. And it is, you're absolutely right. Just to think even about that kind of layering, the layering of past of a space and how it builds up over time in a geographical area is just something that again, comes back to this idea of palimpsest. Right. And it's interesting to me because palimpsest is actually a term that's now being used for people who are looking into geology and the environment, they actually use that term as well to describe exactly that of that, um, the idea that you can still see some remnants of the original landscape, right. um, but that it's changed over time. Like kind of like when you see a, a hill, like I know in uh, Concord Mass where I lived, I know the hills we were on were the result of um, some some kind of giant block of ice that had melted and then you know mm -hmm. so it's right <laughs> um, yeah yeah so just that and obviously you can keep going way far back so I'm limiting my project at the Revolutionary War which I'm sure is um, enough in and of its own for sure <laughs> exactly exactly right. I'm gonna I'll go that far back for the sake of getting it done for April but um but yeah it's it's really neat to think about how many other lives have passed through a specific space that you're Absolutely. now encompassing. Yeah, especially here in the U.S. <laughs> There's like all yeah. sorts of cultures that are living together and right. cultures that are from the past that we don't even acknowledge sometimes anymore. And so that's really, right. really very cool. And when you're when you're all finished with it, is it going to be put online in some way or that's something yes. that you're going to... Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. And that's actually something that if the ArtsFuse uh, listeners want to weigh in on, I'm <laughs> We would <laughs> I'm love to be sounding board for that, yeah. Yes, excellent. Because one of the things that I've been deeply conflicted on with this project is that ideally these films that I've created, I've made them in a way that you can actually, they're designed to be viewed while you're standing on the grounds so that it's still a site specific performance. So what's nice about this is inevitably, if COVID is still an issue come April, right. 2021, People can go any time of day that the park is open and just wander onto the grounds and they can watch it on their own devices by themselves um, oh, cool. with their families. It, it's an opportunity to present, by no means am I replacing live performance. I am a firm believer that that cannot be replaced, but right. I am providing through this project a different experience, which is one that is, um, accessible in a different way in that you don't have to go to a performance at a specific time of day on a specific day. And if you miss it, oh no. Right. Um, but so ideally I do want to, at least for the first maybe couple of weeks or so, limit it so that people can only see it if they go to the grounds um, to really, <clears throat> excuse me, to really experience the site 
and to totally. feel that they're in the site while they're experiencing this 360 degree immersive uh, choreography around them. Um, but then because I'm also, so on the one hand, I'm a purist because I would like to get people to go to this specific site right, and to right. really feel it as augmented reality. On the other hand, I like the idea of putting it online so that people can have a virtual reality experience if they aren't able to travel to Princeton, right. New Jersey. So I'm, I'm, if people have suggestions on, uh, ways to make both work you know they're welcome to reach out to me i'm i'm still debating right now how i'll do it but i think for the first couple of weeks i'm going to limit it to anyone who travels there so that there's a little bit of a special debut i suppose of being there in the site and experiencing yeah, it absolutely especially i would think with this project because it is so tied into the place itself that like that yes. absolutely makes sense yeah well, right. you'll definitely uh, have to share it with us if you do end up putting it <laughs> online because I'd love to see it. But I, I wish I could give you advice there. I am completely technologically deficient. And <laughs> when we had the musical, I feel like Bill and I were so lucky that the he had all those BU students that were eager to help and yes. set up all of that yes. stuff because I would have been lost yes. completely. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. It's you know and even the um even the technical components of this project have been a very creative challenge <laughs> i was curious um, about that too i didn't know if it yeah. was kind of a challenge to just explain because <laughs> i'm sure there's a lot that's involved <laughs> with making it a, a 360 experience i have yeah. no idea how that works it, I didn't really know how I would go about it either. And I'll admit that initially when I was going into augmented reality with this piece, I thought I could do some kind of an app. Um, and for many different reasons that I won't get into here, it, it's not going that direction. I'm going to do a website instead with pre-recorded 360 degree films gotcha. um, because that just will uh, work in terms of longevity. Um, things get outdated so quickly quickly with phones now. Definitely. So anyway, so I'm going that route. But one <laughs> of the things that was challenging is just that as performers and for myself as a choreographer, as luminarians dancers were working on this with me, we were realizing that all of us were having a lot of difficulty thinking in terms of the sphere right. of choreography. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we're used to the audience, if anything, being around us and us being in the center of the sphere, whether it's on a stage and it's a very divided fourth wall, or even if it mm. is a site-specific work and people are peppered throughout a field and we're in the middle of the field, we were all very used to the idea of someone surrounding us. Right. But the idea of having the viewer be immersed in the middle of the sphere and have us going around and interacting around the camera yeah. took a lot of getting used to. <laughs> um, and a lot of experimentation with some experiments that we realized did not work. And then other things that really resonated very well. Sure, yeah, that must have been a really interesting challenge as a dancer and like the yeah. choreography aspect. I, I, I don't even know how to begin to think about dancing in any <laughs> purposeful oh. way. So <laughs> to, to try to think about like how I'm sure 
there's a certain way of trading and, and a certain way of performing on stage. And then to completely turn that on its head, that must be so interesting. But it must, but I also would think be kind of like a fun challenge too. Yes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a fun challenge. Definitely some interesting surprises. And uh, one of the things that we thought, I, at one point I said to two of my dancers, I was like, all right, just, just give, let me give this a try. And I picked up the camera and I put it on top of my head and I crouched over and I really awkwardly followed them through the field as they were battling. And by the time we finished, the two of them were laughing and they were like, that's going to come out so bad and it's going to look so awful. Right. And then we looked at the footage later that night and all of us agreed separately. We were like, oh my God, it actually kind of works. That's so cool. So wow. <laughs> well, that's the short of it for this week. Be on the lookout in the new year for another great episode of The Short Fuse, this time featuring an interview with Clea Simon who is both a Fuse contributor and a fiction writer, among many other things. She and I had a very fun time getting to know each other and discussing her whole bibliography, as well as a new book that is coming out in the new year. So stay tuned for that. You can keep the conversation going with us on social media at the short fuse pod or email us at the short fuse podcast at gmail.com. If you really love us, go leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you may be listening. Thanks for a great year, everybody. It has been a pleasure spending another fall and starting the winter having conversations and engaging with all of you we hope that you're having a great holiday season continue to do so and enjoy the new year as we start hopefully a time that that is better than the time that we're living in currently <laughs> so here's to onwards and upwards in 2021